When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast and this week's episode is sponsored by footballprizes.co.uk where you can win some priceless pieces of signed football memorabilia as well as match tickets each and every week. In this week's draw, you can win two hospitality tickets to West Ham's London derby with bitter rivals Tottenham at London Stadium on August the 31st. Entries are just £9.95 each and just 65 will be sold, which gives you a fantastic chance of winning. The competition closes Thursday night at 7.30pm and the winner will be drawn an hour later live on the Football Prizes Facebook page. There's been some fantastic signed pieces from Tony Cotty, Saeed Benrahma, Jared Bowen and Vladimir Sufau. In fact, basically the whole of the current West Ham squad up for grabs since Football Prizes launched. So head on over to footballprizes.co.uk to check them out. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. We are going down, so we are going down. We are going down, we are going down. Two games into the season, two defeats for West Ham United. The latest one, a 1-0 defeat at Nottingham Forest. Perhaps one of the most unfortunate, unlucky games that I've ever seen. But it does feel same old season, same old West Ham. Everyone, of course, is against us, it appears. The football gods, the referees, I don't know whether he just caught, caught up in the occasion. Nottingham Forest first Premier League home game in... Uh, this millennium in 23 years, blah, blah, blah. And perhaps he just didn't want us to win. And Declan Rice, when given the opportunity to salvage a point from the city ground, may as well have put a sign around his neck going, Dean, by the way, Mr. Henderson, goalkeeper of Nottingham Forest, just so you know, I'm going to shoot in the bottom left corner. Such was the obvious nature of his run-up, or so it seemed. As West Ham fell to a defeat. Uh, at Nottingham Forest to leave us 19th in the league. Jonesy, I'm assuming uh, that you're using a flash score this week, which will probably tell you that we're in contention for Europe or in the European spots. But unfortunately, <laughs> all I can say is thank goodness for Manchester United, uh, which means that West Ham aren't rock bottom of the Premier League table. Uh, two defeats, mate, obviously away to Nottingham Forest. It's a little bit different, a little bit of a different vibe to have the nature of the defeat against Manchester City on the opening day, but no less frustrating to be two games in with zero points. Well, mate, flash score do have us down as 19th this week, so um, they're correct. Uh, <laughs> I do know that we're, we're, we're knee-deep in a relegation battle two weeks into the season. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't really know where to start. It still feels like it's last season for that squad, but that's starting 11. Two goalkeepers on the bench despite us going into the season desperately needing to add depth and we're still naming two goalkeepers on the bench. Yeah. And at the end of last season, mate, you must remember that we actually had centre-backs playing centre-backs. Now we've yep. got a right-back playing centre-back and a right-back playing up front. Exactly, yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, 
it just just incredibly frustrating all round. And yeah, you're right. West Ham winning on Sunday wouldn't have quite fit the the narrative that everyone was hoping for the day. And it did feel like no one really wanted West Ham to win that game. Not even the gods. Um, not even not even even our captain. Apparently. Not even our captain. Not even <laughs> not even the referee. Who I am. I will. I will say. I'm ashamed to share that same name. As, uh, oh yeah, Rob name? Jones, really? Rob yeah. Jones, um, just yeah, not part of the Jones family. If, if no, I'm concerned, he's out of the club, is he? Yeah, get out, mate. Yeah, he's not get in the bin. Get in the bin. Um, <laughs> Next meeting of all the Joneses, he's not he's, welcome. He's banished. He's out. <laughs> he's <not> welcome. He's <laughs> out. Um, just gent, just stupid. Just no, they're giving you. He was giving you all a bad name, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't remember the heat got to him a little bit, a little bit of sunstroke mm. maybe, but it's just yeah, a, just out a, of obviously you're near the top, mate. Um, just off the top of your head, who are sort of the other prominent, like most well-respected members at, at the Jones Club? Uh, was there a, I believe, was there a Rob Jones, formerly of Liverpool? Yeah. Uh, a right back, I believe. Um, big Phil Jones, don't forget Big Phil. Big Phil Jones, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah very man, reputable man of many Jones. Faces. Um, uh, G- G- is there a Jim Jones or a... Uh, that mm. would be me. Yeah, um, but no one call, no one's getting about no, calling you Jim. Jim, are they? No. Surely. Um there is a Jones in the Premier League this year, I'm sure there is. Curtis? Curtis Jones, yeah. That, Curtis Jones. Yeah. Any anyone else from sort of the the world of showbiz movies? Uh, I mean not, I'll be honest, mate. Again, I don't sort of want to make a habit of starting these podcasts by insulting you as I did last week as well. <laughs> um by suggesting you struck me as a bloke who couldn't swim. Uh, <laughs> I that, this, yeah. I, I listened back to it actually and you telling me quite adamantly that you consider yourself a strong swimmer I am um, yeah, yeah I, I just I don't know it's not the most yeah so what I was going to say mate don't want to be offensive it's not the most glamorous of names Jones is it I mean well, not it's, it is one of the most popular names in I'm not going to say the world but uh, <laughs> the, the UK is one of the most along, alongside Smith I believe yeah I mean, in, it, yeah, but to be there. fair, about 98% of them are from Wales, aren't they? Uh, probably, yeah. And to be fair, I don't know whether I've got any Welsh blood in me. I must do somewhere down the line. Right, here but, we go. Uh, co- perhaps the mo- according, this is according to Google, and as you know, you can't argue with Google. Um, the most famous one, there's actually a couple of decent ones here. Uh, the top four, can you... Uh, any any guesses for the top I'm not, four? I'm not that clued up on on famous Joneses. I, I I just tend to keep consider yourself the most yeah, famous. And me, don't look me and downwards. my son, me and my son, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Harrison. Well, Quincy. Yeah. Okay. One of the most outstanding names. Uh, for yeah. anyone who doesn't know, yeah, big, uh, famous record producer, musician, songwriter, and all that sort of thing. This one should have known. This one really, Big Tom. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean. That one probably the other. I would say the the Google rank Quincy as the most famous, then Big Tom. Uh, third, James Earl. James Earl Jones. Um, oh. Yeah, big American actor. Decent, you'd know him if you saw him. And another decent one, Tommy Lee of Men of in Black Infamy. Yes. Um, then we could, Then to be fair, mate, I'm going to be quite honest. It then gets a little bit ropey. Well, Terry Jones, Monty Python. Um, but yeah, Nora Jones, George Jones, Rashida, Shirley, Grace Jones, John Paul, Leslie, Casey, hey, January hey, Jones, great hey, name. Now you're just rattling off names to me. Yeah, but, just first I mean, 
And I, I don't recognise any of these. So to be honest, mate, I reckon easy, easy. You're in the top five most uh, famous Joneses in the world. Oh, certainly, certainly. Hmm. I would certainly. say. Yeah, January Jones. That's just a cool name, but I don't know who that is. Yeah, yeah anyway, so uh, as we were saying, Rob Jones giving um, giving the clan a bad name, ensuring that he's, he's out of the next meeting. Uh, any other thoughts on the actual football then? Uh, it kind of went. The same way I, th- I thought it would. I thought Forrest would come out the blocks. Place is going to be jumping city grounds. First Premier League mm. game in 23 years. Blah, yada, yada, yada. It's all going to be a little bit ropey the first 15 minutes. But I thought we dealt with that very well. And grew into the first half very, very positively. And mm. there was a stage midway through that first half where I thought, right, now we've got to start making some of these chances count. And we'll win this comfortably. I really felt like Forrest had wasted that first 10, 15 minutes of dominance um, and allowed us back into it. And you know, we're, uh, we, would, we are the better team. Mm. And I still maintain that. Um, and then obviously what happens, happens with the AR and then they score the flukiest goal you'll ever see. <laughs> yeah. And then... It was the flukiest goal like, you'll ever see. You know, Lingard scuffs yeah. his shot. It comes off. Ben Johnson's toe, it hits their striker's knee and it goes in. And by that time, Fabianski's on the floor on the other side of the goal because he's thinking yeah. Lingard can actually shoot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that all happens. In the second half, you know, how do you weren't hitting the bar twice and missing a penalty? I still don't know why their player wasn't sent off for that for that handball. Well, James. Don't, don't get uh, it. Absolute huge name guest we've got on this week. Delighted to say that joining us later on in the show uh, to shine a bit of a light on that. Um, perhaps, uh, you know, give you a bit of um, a bit of cause to forgive Rob Jones and invite him into that next meeting. His former Premier League referee, Mark Kelsey, he's been on the show before. Uh, he's joining us. Uh, I spoke to him yesterday because I was just dumbfounded by what was going on. Um, and I don't know whether it will be consolation or not. Jonesy, but um, some of the things you're saying, he, he may choose his words a little bit more carefully, but I think Mark uh, will be agreeing with you. But yeah, former Prem Ref Mark Kelsey joining us later in the show to shine a, a light on some of those decisions, particularly whether or not uh, it should have been a red card for McKenna there after he, uh, he decided he was going to play volleyball as opposed to um, football. Right, Jonesy, we'll get on to the Nottingham Forest bit in more detail. We'll chat to Mark Kelsey as well. Before we do that, um, a little bit of housekeeping. First of all, uh, you can contact We Are West Ham on Twitter at We Are underscore West Ham. You'll find mine and Jonesy's personal accounts over there as well. I'm at William Pugh underscore Jonesy is at by James Jones. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube as well. Um, on Facebook, just search We Are West Ham Podcast. Do the same on YouTube where you find some of the clips and little bits and pieces that Jonesy puts up each and every week. You can email us as well if you so wish at wearewestampod at gmail.com and we're Instagram, we are West Ham Pod. Uh, while we're on that topic, Jonesy, I got a fantastic message this morning from Brad Stevens from Down Under, uh, down in Oz, uh, and he just got in touch and said, uh, to me, Ben Rama must listen to the pod, mate. Give him a rev up again this week and he might play well again. You never know. Uh, I must admit, did go for Ben Rama last week. I did think he was better. The better, I mean, 
the bar was so low, he certainly couldn't. It would, literally wouldn't have been possible to get any worse. Uh, I did see um, some Memo Lanzini stats uh, or from the Man City game, which explains exactly why he was dropped. Um, sort of like, you know, there's zero shots, zero um, <laughs> attacking passes made, barely any distance covered, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I sort of understand why he gave Ben Rama a chance. I thought he was a little bit better. Um, but yeah, just just a reminder uh, that you can get in touch. That one from Brad this morning did make me laugh. Uh, and of course, you can buy us a beer and support the podcast if you so wish at buymeacoffee.com slash we are West Ham. Pints start from as little as a fiver uh, a time. And that money goes directly to me and Jonesy. And we have always pledged uh, to only spend it on things that make the podcast better, be that equipment or guest fees. Uh, and of course, uh, if it's not that, then it will only go over the bar um, on beers when Jonesy and I are together. So that's buymeacoffee.com slash wearewestam if you want to support the podcast over there. Just a little insight into what's coming up on this week's show. We'll have some reaction, more detailed reaction from Jonesy and I on that Nottingham Forest defeat. Mark Halsey will dial in as well to chat all things refereeing after Rob Jones's pretty abject performance, certainly from a West Ham point of view uh we will look ahead as well to the game against brighton we've got a europa league game on thursday too it's all against viborg it's all happening uh for west ham united and it's all happening on the we are west ham podcast all of that will come before some final thoughts from me and jonesy and we say goodbye for another week season is kicking off already let's kick off the show properly not in a forest reaction next Well then, Jonesy, as we mentioned there, uh, disappointing result. I think more disappointing the manner um, of of the defeat. It, it felt a little bit. It's frust- It's more frustrating in a weird way because, like, than the Man City result because I think we expected something out of the game. Uh, whereas Man City, it's more just like disappointing, a bit frustrating, and a bit boring. You're like, not really. You're not really like surprised by what's happened and it's kind of just a bit depressing that that's the way the Premier League goes now mm-hmm. uh, but I think uh, yesterday or uh, Sunday it was just like frustrating because you expect to get something out of the game and we, it felt like we did enough like no one no one at all would have complained if we'd won that game 3-1 would they like we were literally so better so much better the better team uh, some stats I sent you yesterday mate West Ham's XG of 2.47 against Nottingham Forest was their highest in a Premier League game where they failed to score in the last seven seasons. They hit the woodwork three times, had a goal disallowed and missed a penalty. So really, obviously it's really annoying. And after losing the first game, you you would like it would have been nice to see those drop for us. And then like we were chatting about last week, we said, didn't we, if we win that game, then the season is perfectly on track. Like, mm-hmm. A defeat against Manchester City and a victory against Nottingham Forest is precisely what would have been expected slash hope, hoped for out the first two seasons. So to not have any points on the board, even just the one, would have been um, would have been nice, especially with the penalty as well. But I I find it hard to be too. You almost sort of think, okay, well we've got one out of the way against City. That's one of the big. That's one of our guaranteed losses of the season that are just sort of out of the way. And then with that and Sunday, you sort of hope, okay, 
well, that's our one game with horrendous luck out of the way as well. Um, so perhaps the next few weeks we'll have a few drop for us and and some of those will start going in. I'm just a bit wary this week of, of being too catastrophic. I know I started the podcast, I appreciate with Fastong saying we are going down. But I just don't want to be too, you know, disaster, disaster, disaster. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, but then you've got to remember we've got Brighton at the weekend and we never beat them. So Yeah, that is true. Someone said that in the worse, office, yeah, yeah. So um but yeah, I know what you mean. I can't remember the last time we had so much bad luck in the space of what ninety-six minutes. Like mm. Nothing went our way. I know when you miss a penalty, like that's your own fault. Like you miss your penalty, like Declan Rice, poor penalty. That's your own fault if you miss a penalty. But the rest of it was just silly. It was circus level ridiculous. Um and like even to the point where even the winner was just luck. Yeah, yeah. Even like, the winner was just like this. Even the winner was luck, and it was just like this is ridiculous. Like yeah. you don't get you don't get games like that you don't get one of those games a season to that extent of, of being unlucky so yeah maybe we've we've, we've done that forest rode their luck um a lot um without being i was quite condescending on a voice note sent to a forest fan for one of their podcasts last night going you learn that this season that you've got to ride your luck a little bit in the premier league that's what happens in this league um, it's your fault it's my well, I fault i think it's your fault anyway for digging all not in a forest out fans yeah last week I, week I said before. that after the game so i'm not going to take fault for the defeat but um i was bitter i did it like five minutes after after the uh after the final whistle but <laughs> they did ride their luck massively and we were just yeah it's just frustrating but there were i don't know i, I do we approach it differently is it a different scoreline if you play some of your new signings from from the off Hmm. Um, the fact that we've still got a bit part, uh, like a makeshift cent- uh, central uh, defensive partnership. Hmm. I think Johnson's played done pretty well over the last two games, given he's not centre back and he looks yeah, incredibly bit... uncomfortable there. Um, you can't really blame him for nah, nah. what happened at the like with the goal, can you? No, nah, of course not. He's trying to he's trying to sit for that to clear it. So hmm. like, that's just that's just things happen. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another day, he, he he takes it away from the from the striker. So. Yeah, could it be any different? Probably, you know, we played some of our, our, our new signings. Moyes said after the City game, he, he needed to freshen things up a little bit, and then we go into the next game, making one change, and that was changed for a player we already had yeah. uh, last season. So, yeah, frustrating, but just so much bad luck and so many poor decisions. Well, look, Jonesy, you mentioned the poor decisions uh, there. I'm delighted to say that agreed to join us today. Uh, he's been on the show before. It's former Premier League referee, friend of the show, uh, Mark Halsey. Mark, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining uh, all the way from Spain, I assume. Uh, yes, we we uh, had a chat yesterday well, after the, the Not in the Forest game. Um, yeah. Just about some of the decisions that were made there. Rob Jones in charge. Uh, Jonesy here, a colleague of mine on the podcast, has already said, Mark, that um, Rob Jones is now uninvited from the annual general meeting of all the well-known Joneses uh, up and down the country. Don't <laughs> <laughs> um, quite how gutted Rob Jones will be by that one. Um, Tom and Quincy will be most disappointed we've decided. But... Uh, Look, we really appreciate you you joining us, Mark. We had an interesting conversation, you and I, yesterday after that game. Um, ahead before yeah. that, the Chelsea Tottenham one as well. Some some interesting decisions there. Um, and obviously the, the West Ham stuff, there was a few different uh, occasions. So before we get into the, the sort of 
finickety parts of it. When you're watching a game like that, you're obviously watching, I assume, through completely different eyes to, to Jonesy and I and to most football fans. How do you, what, what sort of things are you looking out for um, away from like the big, the big incidents when you're watching a game like sort of re- referee wise with all the work you do at the moment? Well, yeah, Will, just first of all, I must make an apology because I'm in my door's bedroom to get a better serve, Wi-Fi service up here. So they, <laughs> they are not my pictures you can see on the wall. Don't have to see them. <laughs> oh, your England posters. Okay, you've got Phil Foden, Mason Mellon, and got Ashford <laughs> and Lingford. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Lingard, sorry. No, Declan so, Rice. This is my door's bedroom, OK? So let's get that. Yeah, I thought, right. I thought you might be a little old for <laughs> so, posters in your room, yeah, Mark, you know, but so I didn't so want to say anything. Yeah, so what 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 are you thinking? <laughs> definitely... when, you, when you're watching a game, what are you looking for? <laughs> I can assure you, right? Um, listen, I'm I'm a you know you watch you watch you watch the game. I watch um, in the same way as you guys, but obviously as well when when there's there's big decisions to be made by by the referee because um, obviously I obviously I'm with you guys in the newspaper because I know I'm going to get a phone call. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm a football fan. I watch it as you guys watch, it, but perhaps just a little bit differently when when there's a, a big decision or a key match incident that goes on, and, and just to see how it plays out and, and what happens and what what it usually comes to, and and then I start to analyse it. Um, you know how how he comes, his his positioning, his 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 fitness, um, his location um, of the offence, his reading of the game. He's anticipating of, of play, and is he in? Is he in? Has he got the right or the correct viewing angle? Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah you, you look at it. I suppose it's a little bit differently sometimes when there's a big key match incident that's gone up, like we saw yesterday in both. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, look, I know James has got uh, got quite a few questions for you, Mark. So let me just kick off certainly with the with the first one, chronological order. Really, uh, the disallowed goal, Saeed Ben Rama. Uh, he was played through. Declan Rice has the ball on the edge of the box. Mikel Antonio runs past him, sort of looking like he might be making himself available. Collides with Oral Mangala, the um, <laughs> not an Forest defender. <laughs> We've um, lost him. Just to let you know, yeah, let you in behind the curtain there. The uh, the Wi Fi signal in Spain in Mark's daughter's bedroom, not quite as good. Uh, as he was hoping, hopefully we'll we'll get Mark back in a little while. Jonesy, what were you, um, what were your sort of, what were you saying before? And obviously, you're saying it's it's frustrating, um, and we'll get we'll get those uh, Mark back on in a minute. Frustrating with the the way it went, and it is annoying to not have points on the board. What are some positives you can take out of it? I'm thinking perhaps individual performances in particular. Um, yeah. So Brad's had a laugh with us saying we dug Ben Rama out. He did improve, well, but what was some positive. I think there's been a lot of Ben Rama love after that game, and I think rightly so. I think he was our best, our best player on the day. Um, his problem at the moment, well, moving forward, is always going to be consistency. Can he, can he keep it up? Um, can he deliver that level of performance every single week that he plays? Um, like he, he's got to start uh, against Brighton. End product, mate. Uh, end, product. end product still needs improving, but in terms of just, you know, he's, he was getting himself into better positions. Um, he was a lot more dangerous up against the opposition fullbacks. Um, and you, when he got the ball out on that left hand side, you you felt like, okay, if the ball's good enough, you know, he's going to create a chance, or he's going to cut mm. inside a couple of times, cut, cut inside without a shot, 
I did feel like sometimes he he held off of taking a shot a little bit too long. Could have taken take had an effort on goal a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um. I saw Nisa Mother Brown their player ratings. They gave him an eight out of ten, which I thought was incredibly generous. I thought he was he was our best player on the day, but I didn't. I don't think yeah. he was as good as an eight. I think there were there were aspects of his. It would have been eight if he, if he, if the goal had stood. It probably would have warranted an eight. Um. Just by. Because he scored, yeah. Because well, you've yeah, you've made a vital game. But, yeah, you? but yeah. elsewhere, like I think you know, he, he was our best player on the day. But there were a couple. Sorry, of... to, sorry to butt in, Jonesy. I think we've got Mark back. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, oh, there we go. Much clearer. My, thanks to my lovely daughter here, and just tell them it is your bedroom. Yeah. yeah. Much. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks very much. Yeah, much clearer, Mark. We can even see crystal. Clear yeah. Well, it's well. it's this. Uh, yeah, I've got a better. Um, iPad. So uh... ah, there we go. There we go. So yeah, well, well, what we were just uh, we were trying to do there, just to start with the that initial decision. So uh, Declan Rice has the ball on the edge of the box. Michael Antonio makes like a run to sort of show for the ball, perhaps collides with Oral Mangala, the Nottingham Forest player. Mangala goes to ground. Antonio sort of throws his arms up a bit. Rice plays it through to Ben Rama. He slots it in the corner, uh, and then Rob Jones after. A word in his ear, the, a, a review was recommended. He goes over to pitch side monitor. And as we all know, as soon as that happens, uh, we know the decision's getting changed. Uh, yeah. What did you make of that one first off? Yeah, I mean, when I first saw it, it looks like that, um, there's, you know, they both just collided, um, ran into each other. Um, and then, and remember, you know, we've been told there's a there's a higher threshold on on contact this season, haven't we? Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I was surprised when, when VAR got involved. Because I didn't think it was a clear and obvious error, but when you look, when you you looked at you look at it again, you think, well, as Antonio's, because he was the he was the Mingala was it was the nearest Mingala, yeah, yeah. Was, Mingala was the nearest player to go and close down Declan Rice. Yeah, and, he was. And, and Antonio did have his um, his hands raised. So I mean, when you look at it and you think, well, yeah, you can understand perhaps why it was given, and I think it's one of those decisions you'll be happy if it goes for you, and very unhappy if it goes against you. Mm. Um, but was it was it a, a clear and obvious error for VAR to get involved? That's you know I think that's a subjective um, incident. So I'm not so sure that they perhaps should have got involved. But once they did, as I say, you can you can understand how they come to that that outcome. Mm. Yeah, you know, you know, like you know, I think you've you've sort of advised before, Mark, that it's like Premier League or the guidance is that, that you know the on-field referees are told to follow. Uh, once once recommended for a review, a review, they're told to follow the sort of VAR from there, aren't they? Really? Yeah, they will. Yeah, they will. They will always go with the VAR. Yeah, I think like like you said, that was a strange one because that is the the criteria, isn't it, for VAR to get involved? Is it a clear and obvious error? I think you'd be hard pushed to say that that was clear and obvious because Rob Jones was in. He wasn't in a terrible position, was he? No, he's looking straight at it. But as I said, uh, that 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 incident is is subjective. And when it becomes mm. subjective, because some will say foul, some will say no foul. Some um, might say as well, forgive me for having a claret and blue hat on, but that perhaps it was Mangala that stepped into Antonio. And why is the onus oh, on him to move out of the way? Or if Antonio well, had gone down, does it look I, I, like I think it's 50-50 more? I don't know. I think perhaps if um, Antonio perhaps hadn't raised his arms, mm. it, may have been, it may have been different. They may not have looked at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, Jonesy, God, you would you take it from me? I know, but we'll go into the other big one first before you get into the uh, um, into the the more minutiae problems that you had with Rob Jones. Yeah, now the other big one was obviously the the penalty in the second half and the decision to only book 
McKenna rather than send him off. And I thought that was a, I thought that was a, a strange decision given that the FA rules say that you know it, it's a red card offensive for deliberately stopping a goal scoring opportunity. And I know Henderson was directly behind him, but it did feel like the wrong decision was made there. Obviously, it was a penalty, but the decision to only only book him rather than send him off. I know. I mean, I, I, as soon as soon as. I mean, I was surprised that Rob Jones didn't see that in, in real time because I think had he seen that, in, and a referee at that level should be seeing that sort of into them because he's got an uninterrupted view, he's looking straight at it. Mm. And I think had he seen that first time off, I think he would have given it, had he seen it properly in his entirety, I think he would have given the penalty and sent, sent McKenna uh, off. Yeah, McKenna yeah. Definitely. And it wouldn't have been reviewed. Mm. Now, when I saw that happen, I said, well, when handball, red card, he's got to go. That's, he's, he's, he's denied a goal or or he's a, his opponent's a goal-scoring, an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. And because he's definitely made it, where, irrespective of where the goalkeeper is, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't know that he's going to save that ball. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was going at pace and it was above his arms because he was already going down the goalkeeper. Um, but that's irrespective of the goalkeeper's position. For me, that that should have been a red card, a sending off for denying a goal or an obvious goal scoring opportunity. The denying the opponents a goal or an obvious goal scoring opportunity. There's nothing in the laws of the game in Law Twelve that mentions the goalkeeper's positioning behind mm. behind the player. <laughs> mm. yeah. No, nothing in the laws of the game mentioning nothing about that. So I know that I've heard some of my ex colleagues say, "Oh, it was a, they thought it was the correct decision because the goalkeeper." Was behind. That's that's that's, that's nonsense. It's absolute mm. nonsense. It's you know, IFAB laws again. Look it up. Look it up. It will tell you. Now well, you may go on. Sorry, Will. An um, about if you know if if there was a if someone was through on goal and they were hacked down on the edge of the box, um, there's no, the goalie might have saved that if they'd have carried on, but he still gets sent off, doesn't he? That's right. Yeah. Well, a, a ball over the top. The defenders, the, the the forwards in front of the defender, just puts his arm around in the box, punches it away. Yeah, goal who's to, Yeah, who's to so, say Henderson would have caught it? Not. Goalkeeper might not. Might, the goalkeeper might have saved that, so yeah. he won't send him off. It's, it's nonsense. So no. for me, I, I, you know, with my laws of the game hat on, I, 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 I think they got that wrong. But you know, obviously, people will say because the keeper was behind him. As I, as I said before, there's nothing in the laws of the game saying. Mm. About the goalkeeper's positioning behind behind the player. Now that that for me that ball was going in. I, the, mm. I don't think the, the goalkeeper's not saving that because he's already going down. His arms are below the wall. Oh, sorry, the ball and the pace of the ball that was the the, 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 the shot going towards goal. So personally, in my opinion, that it should have resulted obviously in a penalty and not in the force should have gone down to ten men. Mm. Yeah, and there's no telling. He might I might have saved it. He could easily just parried it back into Suchek's path, couldn't he? Or listen, it's not like, oh yeah, if if he hadn't handballed it there, Henderson would definitely have caught it and play would have gone dead. It's just, anything can <laughs> no, happen after. Anything. Well, look at look at um, look at the gear on 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 Saturday against Brentford, mm. the goal that went through his hands. Mm. Yeah, well, exactly. The keepers yeah. have got so aim, haven't they? Especially Man United keepers. Make assumption that the keeper's going to make the save because the the pace of the ball that was going, in my opinion, that was going in the back of the net. And then mm. you can understand why David Moyes was most probably unhappy. Go on, then, Jonesy. <laughs> you, uh, I'll, you, you run with this one. <laughs> I've only got I've only got two others that I'd, I'd like to get your view on, Mark. Actually, because 
Um, you see it quite a lot in, in Premier League games. And it, it was kind of, I don't know whether it was because of those two instances we've already spoken about, kind of highlighted these for me a little bit more. But I think first of all, um, the decision to give Rice a card after just two fouls in the first 10 minutes or so. Um, I thought that was quite... Some people say, yeah, because there were two tackles out sort of into the area. That's why the referee decided to start yellow card him so early, just for two fouls. But then you've got their centre-back who was fouling Antonio left, right and centre and didn't get booked at all all game. I mean, from a referee's perspective, where's the line in terms of I've got to book him there or... The, you know. But there's, 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 there's no line. I mean, it, it's simple. A careless challenge is a free kick and nothing else. Mm-hmm. A reckless challenge is a free kick and a caution. Mm-hmm. And a, a challenge that endangers a player's safety is a free kick and a red card. But, you yeah. know, it has to be Law 12, um, fouls and misconduct. Now, yeah, it all depends on, 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 on the referees. Um, you can referee with common sense. I mean, a rep, if, if you have... Three, four, three, four, five small fouls. You, you tend to, you know, listen, on the fifth foul, you say to the player, if you do any more fouls, irrespective, I'm going to caution you for persistently infringing the laws of the game. So, that's mm-hmm. a, so you're a persistent offender that's that's persistently committing fouls and giving away free kicks. Um, now, obviously, with, with Declan, obviously, re- referee on no situation, deemed that uh, the second, or the second, was it the second one he got cautioned on, wasn't it? Outside, he deemed that perhaps, you know, um, Although there could be a careless challenge made, it could have been stopping a promising attack. So if you're committing an offence and the referee deems it stopping a promising attack, that means there's there's no one else around him, no defenders around him. He's got a clear run on the pitch, clear run towards goal. Then he will pick up a yellow card if that's his first offence. Well, I mean, listen, we do see some inconsistencies with shirt pulls and, and those sort of things. But generally, referees should give about four or five fouls if they are persistently infringing the rules of the game. But mm-hmm. as I say, if you've got if you've got a player that commits his first offence, and that first offence is a careless challenge, but in doing so, it stops a promising attack, then he will be cautioned. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. And the the other one from me was particularly in the first half, um, every time Antonio got the ball back to goal, holding the ball up, near Kite and Mangala in particular, might as well have been having piggybacks off him. Um, and I think he only won two or three of those in terms of, you know, he was backing into the defender a little bit. Defender would be all over him, dragging him to the floor. Um, a couple of times he'd be dragged to the floor and there was no foul. It was, it was play on. And I wanted to kind of get your view on that. I mean, at what point does a 50-50 tussle uh, for a ball become a foul um, in those situations where it's striker holding the ball up against a defender behind him? Well, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, you know, you, you as a referee, you referee what's in front of you. Um, and you do you do allow a certain amount of physical contact because mm-hmm. it is it is a football is a contact sport. So it's, it's when there is it's how it's how high that referee's tolerance level is in those situations. Now, yeah, you know, if he's letting a lot go and he's allowing that that sort of he, he he's 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 his tolerance levels up high, then he's got to maintain that throughout the game. For, for consistency. Now, if he doesn't do that, then that's when you get your inconsistency and you get people, you know, whinging about, well, hang on, he's given one there and he's not given that one. Look at how, look at the handle, you know, he's got over him, he's got his arms around him mm-hmm. and it, one minute he gives it and the next minute he doesn't. So, on, on those situations, it, it, is, it is very difficult and I think, I, I think if you've got that amount of, um, 
physical contact going on where he's completely yeah remember these players are not silly that you know these forwards they stick their their backsides out they stick their backsides into him don't they so then mm. the players then got to put his arms on him or put his and try and get you know try and get close to him so it, it, it is a difficult one it is a very difficult situation but i think if you if you set your tolerances too high with those situations, you're gonna you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna and you're gonna cause trouble. So, for me, I think you've got to get in early, nip them in the bud. And as soon as you see that sort of, when it goes above that tolerance level, bang, you nip it in the bud and you, and you give them free kicks. The defenders are still stop, you know, soon stop doing it if you you give him one or two in and around the penalty area. Mm. Yeah, look, Mark, it's been absolutely brilliant. Haven't you? It's, it's sort of fair to say then, from a um, sorry, non-biased. Uh, point of view, which we do our best to to not be, but obviously we want West Ham to win every single week. Um, <laughs> Just like I win every week. What a yeah, what a what a bite, what a strike from header from our goalkeeper at Sunderland. Eh? <laughs> but would you uh, w- would you suggest then? Is it is it would it be reasonable to say that West Ham fans are are not being unreasonable if they feel a bit hard done by by the um, refereeing decisions or the official decisions um, that went against them? Yeah, to speak yeah. at Nottingham Forest. Listen, I, I listen. I can understand the, the goal being disallowed. I can understand that. Um, but for me. Um, the, the penalty was for me was a was a a goal or an obvious goal scoring opportunity for the yeah. opponents um, and the the player that McKenna should have been sent off and not in Forest down to ten men my yeah. opinion but that's going by the laws laws of the game which is what law twelve thousand misconduct yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean you're saying that but, as if, like, you know which is but, only going by the laws but, 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 but what but what yeah but I think they're hiding behind. The goalkeeper, you know, because right, the goalkeeper, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's nonsense. As I said earlier, there's nothing in the laws of the game that mention the point it, yeah. to the positioning of the goalkeeper in those situations. It's yeah, yeah. It's if if a, if a player denies a goal or an obvious goal scoring opportunity with a deliberate handball anywhere, yeah, it's the, back and white. Anywhere, it's, yeah, anywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no grey in it. Yeah, anywhere. He has to be sent from the field of play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's if you look at the the IFAB, sending off fences, handling the ball, that will tell you. You you can go into the laws of the game yourself on your on your laptop. Yeah, yeah. Well, we needn't we need it. We've got the oracle of all refereeing knowledge to talk to us and tell us all about it instead, which we uh, it's far far better than me and Jamesy doing it. But look, Mark's been uh, brilliant having you on. Thanks for your frank insight. Uh, as ever, I would say we hope to speak to you again in future, but we only tend to talk to you when West Ham have been hard done by. So I hope we don't speak to you <laughs> until right. the end of May. You never speak to us when the referees had a great performance. No, exactly. No, perhaps we just start. Just start. No, look, Mark's been brilliant. We really appreciate you joining us, and uh, we hope to speak to you again soon. Okay, take care, my friend. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Cheers, Mark. Cheers. Bye. Uh, right. So, well then, Jonesy. Uh, that that that's Mark. That's Mark gone. Uh, do you feel better or worse for that conversation? Um, I mean, I will disagree with him with the um, the the disallowed goal. Um, but I don't feel any different purely because it doesn't change the result, does it? Whether it's right, wrong, well, black, no, white, but grey, it, it does. The fact the fact is is that everyone knew straight off the bat, and I'm I'm glad that. Um, Mark said what he said about you know there's nothing in the rules of the game that mentioned the goalkeeper's positioning in those situations. Hmm. 
Um, so like, there's just no argument there. It should have been a red card. Hmm. Yeah, um, that's, uh, that's like, black and white. So Dennis, that makes you feel better. Yeah, Surely I mean, it does, because we have actually been hard done by there. If well, he came on been... and said, yeah, you're both talking rubbish, like, you, yeah, the refereeing decisions were all fine. It doesn't make me feel any better that I've uh, our feeling are hard done by has been justified yes. by the laws of the game. <laughs> it's more just like, okay, yeah, we're right to feel hard done by about, mm. about the situation. Um, the fact that this and our goal um, was open to subjectivity, um, yeah, subjectivity kind of all still goes against the point of having VR. Mate, I'm not having that, you know. I honestly think, I just think Antonio's silly to do it. Genuinely, I, I, I you know, I, I try and be I mean, pragmatic or whatever, but I just think, I think he, he, we know what it's like these days. He's like, you give the decision a referee to a make there. This like, is how you I, leave yourself open to it. This is how I see it. He, he, he's making a run into the box. Uh, the, the, the replays clearly show the defender step in front of him. Just ever yeah. so slightly steps in front of him. Yeah, he stepped now, towards him. Yeah, Antonio, yeah, sure. he's not just running at pace, right? But he's a big bloke. He's top yeah, heavy. He didn't have to get all like, well, I mean, like it was a dick shaking contest and like, maybe, like but throw him to the floor suppose, and throw his arms up in the air. Why didn't suppose, he go down if he was that savvy? Maybe, but I mean, in that situation, I think, you know, I don't, I pretty probably didn't expect the defender to be so lightweight and go flying. I mean, because he did go flying. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I felt like in that situation he was punished for being the stronger out of the two players, um, and he was running. He was running too. He was running very fast. Guy gets in his way. He, in a natural position, puts his arms up. No, to initially to protect himself, but then obviously protect himself from what? Well, the fact that he's lightweight. Running, a minute ago, he's running. He's running. He's running at eighty mile an hour. <laughs> Um, no, nah, you've you've turned from like pragmatic no. being sensible to just claret and blue tinted glasses. No, I, I genuinely believe that. Okay, he probably he's he just got to be smart, mate. You, you made I'm a meal telling of it. you, he you made a meal be smarter of it. there. He made a meal of it. Um, but at the same time, I think if the defender doesn't step in his way, that doesn't happen. Well, he did. Well, the defender stuck in steps in his way, so these defenders at fault for causing the altercation. Yeah, with, no, with no, um, but. So like Antonio it's not, it's not can do foul. something with something different there, can't he? Like he didn't have to like go steaming in and throw his arms does up he, in the air. Does he jump like, out the look way? At, look at me, how strong I am. Or just step out of the way, or go down. How, how does he step out of the way when he's running at full pace? If the defender stepped into him, go down then, like the defender did. Like, Maybe. like it's Premier League football you're playing here. It's not like it, all of a sudden all the rules have changed. Regardless, being of that, smart though. and cunning has been a thing for ages. Like Regard- Kevin De Bruyne. Or someone else strong wouldn't have like w- wouldn't have any yeah, problem I going down to try and get, get their that. team an advantage. He, he could have acted a little bit differently, other than chuck him to the floor. Um, yeah, and like I, I'm not be doing these ones. Like I'm not buying. I'm not buying that he should have, he should have tried to get out of the way because he was running. The guy stepped in front of him right at the last minute, so he's, he's not getting out of the way of that for a start. Um, mm. But one thing I do question is the defender at the time was the nearest player to Declan Rice. Yeah. The fact that it's very obvious that the defender has no intention of trying to track Declan Rice down by the fact that he steps in front of Antonio. If he's yeah, trying he to if he's trying to if he's trying to close Declan Rice down, right, yeah. you can go and then Antonio wipes him out, fair enough. But he's not. He's holding off, he's holding off Declan Rice. Antonio runs past Declan Rice and the defender steps in front of Antonio. So therefore he might be the closest player to Declan Rice, but he's got no intention of 
um, playing Declan Rice, if you know what I mean. So mm. therefore, that kind of wipe, for me, that wipes that part of the argument out. It's like, well, yeah, he was the closest player to him, but you had no intention of actually trying to press him or close him down or trying mm. to win the ball I off him. Know. Um, I don't know. So that's the way I see it. Um, well, you've just had a former Premier League referee come on and tell you open, that you're wrong uh, to see it like that. He's, he's, he's openly said um, that he literally is a I subjective I can see why decision. that got disallowed, he said. It's a subjective decision. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't mean... So you're allowed to decide, Jones, whether no, it's I'm not right deciding whether it's right or wrong. I'm just giving my opinion, and that's the way I see it. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is what's right, and this is what's and wrong. And it was a wrong decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, well, look, we can take some sort of solace in the fact that, well, by the sounds of it, even if he'd come and told you that it was the wrong decision, it would have made you feel better anyway. So this is all a complete waste of breath. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, then. Uh, come, we've got to move this along a bit, Jonesy. Um, that's the decision. It's great to have uh, Mark on there. Um, the awful penalty, by the way, from... Uh, I, I, I'm a bit confused. Remember Why is he taking the penalty? Remember Lanzini was warming up, about to come on, and to be fair, I was then going, it. huh? We're not making that No, exactly. Yeah. No, no, which is, is fair enough. Um, but yeah, it was rubbish, the penalty, wasn't it? No, I was, it's just twice I'm not really that confident. Yeah, he's, I, he's I don't scored know a if he, he just wants to be a Mark Noble, but... I don't know. I, I mean, I would have given it to Ben Rama. A... I thought Ben Rama would take it. As soon as we got it, I was like, yeah, Ben Rama will have this. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it was, just, it was just a really baffling decision. Like, given he's already missed, that's him, obviously been agreed before, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, get him off pens. That's so it's just such a yeah, you just don't want that uncertainty, do you? Because it was rubbish, and I just feel like he, he's almost too big for it. Like, and he's just not a do you know what I mean? I feel like I always feel more comfortable with pens when, like, uh, which sort of when attacking players are taking it, I was going to say, but obviously that didn't really ring true with Noble. But Noble had his Dix. own style and just never missed, did he? Yeah, and Julian Dix, obviously. Yeah, but that's a bit retro. I mean, in the modern day, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Um, you know, or someone who's just like got a track record of striking the ball cleanly. If Cresswell was stepping up, I'd be like, right, fair enough. Yeah. Mm. Like ben Roma scores the winner against City in the in the League Cup. He should Lanzini, I, I like it when Lanzini's stepping up because you think, yeah, like, He's an attacking midfielder. He knows how to strike a ball. <laughs> Take the rise. Not so much. But yeah, that was disappointing. Uh, yeah, Ben Rama, you thought was was man of the match what you were talking about earlier. Uh, interesting one, mate, um, to see Fabianski back in. Obviously, the injury or whatever. Do you think it's because what you said about Alphonse coming on, giving away a penalty straight away? Or it's obviously perhaps not so much of a plan to, to oust Fabianski as the number one after all. I, I, I was convinced that that 20-minute cameo for Fabianski at the beginning of the game last weekend before his injury be his last prem would have been that would have been it it would have been Ariola in now and it was almost like Moyes would have needed an excuse like that to make the change hmm. so I was quite surprised I think it's very obvious that given it's Fabianski's last season I can't imagine I'd give him another year after this um, that yeah that it'd be next year that Ariola slots in with the number one but I mean Fabianski had another good game I mm. thought five saves, I think it was, I was looking at it earlier. Um, no, wasn't at fault for the goal whatsoever. So right. I mean I'm I'm still happy I'm still happy with him. I'm quite yeah, com- comfortable no. with him. Um no. there's not many goalkeepers at the age of thirty seven that can still perform. No, I'm also surprised. I'd be surprised. I've thought, you know, any conversations Ariola would have had. He's all, like I don't know, waiting another season? 
is he, is that, maybe but then i suppose is at the same he likely time, to do that at the same time you consider the fact that you know if, if we get through the qualifier there's you know a lot of cup games to play yeah, yeah I, I think it, still, he still played 20 games for us last season and he only mm. i think only one of those was in the premier league so he had a lot of cup cup games to, to get involved in yeah, maybe that, yeah that's that was true. part of it and that you're going to play in 15 20 cup games still mate like you might yeah. come up yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, yeah. Assuming we, uh, assuming as you mentioned, we get cups. get through get through Viborg. Um, yeah. Well, so the first leg on on Thursday, I think that's sort of that's pretty much it on the Forest. It was just unlucky. You hope that we've uh, used up all our luck. Really, if if West Ham have won that three-one, even with the two efforts that hit the bar and bounced down on the line, that is just bad luck. Like mm-hmm. you know, great free kick. Um, that, that could have easily nestled in the top corner. The effort from Fournals was superb as well. I'm, I'm not too beaten up. You just hope, right, that City game out of the way, uh, that's one with um, the, the sort of bad luck game that's out of the way. Uh, Viborg at home on Thursday night in the Europa Conference League in the first leg of our playoffs against the Danish side and then home to Brighton. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> home to Brighton on Sunday uh, in the Premier League. See if we can break that curse. I reckon this might be the time, Jonesy. This might be the time. Terrible start to the season. What a way uh, to bounce back it will be um, by, by breaking that that long curse of not having beaten Brighton in 700 games or whatever it is. Uh, but look, not the Forest game. One to put behind us um, at the moment. Huge relegation battle on our hands already. 19th place after two games. But stay with us because we'll look ahead to the Viborg game and the Brighton clash next. So I'm delighted to say, joining us to look ahead to Thursday night's Europa Conference League opener against Danish side Viborg is Henry Nichols from footballindenmark.com. Henry, brilliant to have you joining us on the show. Before I go anywhere else, talk about any football whatsoever, how does an Englishman like you find himself in charge of a Danish football website of all things. We had some, uh, we had some different countries and different fans of different teams to get in touch with last season on the Europa League run, um, but uh, an entire platform dedicated to just Danish football. There's got to be an intriguing tale behind that. Yeah, it's a bit of a mad one, really. I mean, I've, uh, I've spent my whole life watching Premier League football. I've uh, had an Arsenal season ticket for you know, over 25 years. So I've watched a lot of Premier League football and about... Just for um, everyone at home. Boo! <laughs> yeah, yeah, put that aside for for one yeah. moment. But, um, but uh, yeah, for, um, about four uh, four and a bit years ago, I was uh, I was just on YouTube and up popped up a, a documentary about a player called Thomas Delaney. And um, oh, yeah. it looked, re- looked really interesting. I had no idea who this player was. Um, I assumed he was a, a British player. Um uh, he's not, he's a Danish player. And it, yeah. it was a documentary about him as uh, uh, FC Copenhagen captain uh, coming into his last season. And just watching that, I got really sort of um, excited about the league. It seemed like there were, there was, you know, big atmosphere. There was uh, the quality of the, of the football was good. And everywhere I looked, there was no coverage in English. Um, and I'm quite a stubborn person. And uh, I really wanted to learn more. And when I found out there was there was no one covering it, I sort of uh, set about 
trying to understand it. And uh, over time, I, I realized there were a few other people in my position who who wanted to know more about this league. I think it, it's got quite a, a big history of being a league that, you know, um, develops big talents uh, and, and has some big teams and some big derbies. And so, yeah, that, that's how I kind of uh, came about creating the website and the Twitter. And uh, yes, it's, it's been great um, being able to, to share that. And, and everyone in Denmark has been super uh willing to, to to help me learn more i think they're, they're a bit like you a bit sort of shocked that there's someone from england who's so into mm. the, the domestic league fair play fair play the twitter is uh football in dk uh yeah. if you want to go over head over and check uh check out henry's henry's platform yeah i mean that it's often so i mean i work in football for a living or whatever and i think i i love football and then i meet someone like you and i think I don't love football as much as this person. <laughs> <laughs> I I do not love football enough to uh, to dedicate the untold amount of um, or the no doubt ton, the tens and tens and hundreds and hundreds of hours you've put in uh, to build a platform. But fair play. So Henry um, Viborg, and normally in situations like this, we do an opposition view every week. Obviously. Um, with the Premier League sides, it's different. Last season was a bit of a new one for me and Jonesy, who I do the podcast with. New teams, new countries, different things to learn about different sides. But normally I'd I'd do a bit of research first, um, do a little bit of reading up, as is the professional way. But this time around, I thought, no, nah, I'm going to put myself in, in the listener shoes here. Uh, and hopefully I then ask the questions that everyone listening at home uh, we'll be asking because I, like many others, had never heard of Viborg until a few weeks ago when it turned out we could get them or a team from the Faroe Islands um, in this round of the Conference League in the playoff leg as it is. So I haven't done any research whatsoever this time round, but rather than you thinking that's just really unprofessional on my part, it was a deliberate ploy uh, in an attempt to make the podcast better. Um I don't know where where does one start then. So um, you're talking to a, a West Ham fan, just like the thousands that listen to this podcast every week will be not having a clue, a completely blank canvas. Talk to me about Viborg first of all. What do I need to know about Viborg first? Yeah. So um, f- firstly, I think the, the the Conference League gets quite sort of short shrift from uh, Premier League fans, but I think that it's throwing up storylines like this is exactly why it's so uh such a great competition and why i enjoyed it so much last season so yeah viborg is a city with only uh a population of about forty thousand. so i'm already um, pronouncing it wrong that's, that's <laughs> item one to note it's not viborg after all right viborg, got viborg yeah. yeah that's lesson number one i didn't want to say anything but yeah no, um, no no happy to be corrected go on they're one of the oldest teams in in Denmark. Uh, they, they've been around since the late 1800s. Uh, so, given um, you know a team like FC Copenhagen, for example, that that you're probably more familiar with, they only came to ex- existence in 1992. I think that tells you kind of this wow. is like a, a very old school team. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this is really only their second time ever playing in Europe. And uh, they they were just promoted to the Superliga, which is the, the sort of Danish equivalent of the Premier League. They were only promoted there last season. Right. And they really took the league by storm. Uh, it, it, it would have been the story of the season if it hadn't been for the fact that the other promoted team actually finished third, so did even better. But yeah. um, they, they, came, they came into the, the league. Where and they did were, Viborg finish, sorry? So last they, year? Fin- they finished seventh. So oh, right, um, 
one of the interesting things about the Superliga actually is that after 22 games, the league splits into two. So you right, then have yeah. the championship group of the top six and the relegation group of the bottom six. And in order to keep the relegation teams interested, they they put a little carrot, which is if you finish top of the relegation group, you go into this playoff where you play mm. the fourth or fifth place team from the championship group and the winner in a one-off game uh, gets to uh, gets the play, the final place in Europe. Right, okay, um, yeah. And there was a, a big story going into this. So but basically the manager who got V-Borg promoted, um, Lars Fries, he, uh, he got poached by another team mid-season. And uh, as uh, fate would have it, the, uh, the European playoff was uh, V-Borg against Lars Fries' new team. And uh, V-Borg won on penalties. It was a very dramatic. And I think it's the first time that a relegation team's ever won that playoff. So right. um, it got them into Europe after this sort of fantastic season. And, and they didn't even finish in the top half. And they didn't finish in the top yeah, half. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, th- th- so this is this is a real kind of David versus Goliath clash. You know, I think the bookies have um, V-Borg uh, at about 9% to win on Thursday. So right. it, it, it's going to be, it's going um, to be a huge upset if they can, if they can pull something off but um but yeah the last season they were really a breath of fresh air they um we'll maybe get into talking about some of the uh some of the individual players uh mm. but i think that by the end of it they were deserving of that place you know to win the playoff uh, in the fashion they did and with you know a squad with a, a value of eight million euros according to transfer market and just sort of by comparison west ham's tr- uh, squad values 362 million so you just mm. get you get an idea of the kind of uh the size of the the gap between the two teams to be fair half of that is Declan Rice but uh yeah <laughs> I see where you're coming from so um it was a 5-1 aggregate win over Faroe's team B36 that got Vberg there Vborg there excuse me in the first place um what sort of uh, you know that, that sounds fairly comfortable um I'm not certain the quality of the uh of the the domestic teams in the Faroe Islands not amazing I wouldn't have thought um but what do West Ham fans you know what they got to look out for like style of play wise or what can they expect Thursday yeah well I I think that V-Ball play um uh, a really kind of at least domestically they play a really uh intriguing style of football so they play very high tempo uh primarily they're a counter-attacking team um they're very good at pressing high up the pitch, uh, which should sort of put them in a uh, good, good position um, with a Premier League team. And this season, at least, they're, they're very direct. They've played the most accurate long balls this season. Um, they, they tend to play a 4-3-3 uh, and focus a lot on um, attacking overlaps, particularly at left-back. So that their left-back is actually their best player um, by some distance, a guy called uh, Christian Sorensen. Um, he was the only outfield player in the league last season to play 90 minutes of every single league game. And he created 118 chances. Uh, and just to sort of put that in perspective, um, the next highest place player in the whole league for chance creation created 73. So he's he everything goes through him. Uh, he's overlapping down the left. Um he, he wears a num- he wears number seven. So uh for a defender, that sort of tells you uh, about his kind of attacking intent. I think. Viborg's the first place where he's actually played as a left back. He's traditionally played higher up the pitch. And What's yeah, his name? This, sorry, Christian Sorensen. Right. Uh, he, he's got a blonde man bun, so you can't miss him. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, he's uh, in five games in the league this season. He's already got two goals and three assists. So he's he's the danger man. Um, I, I shouldn't really be giving the game away, but hopefully, uh, hopefully the, the West Ham staff aren't listening to this. Yeah, you'd hope you'd hope Moise would uh, <laughs> would know about that already, wouldn't you? Um, Henry, you you said earlier on uh, just off air that you you went over to Denmark. You've actually seen. Viborg play recently. So the as far as the fans go, the the club, um, obviously West Ham, large fan base, born out of the uh, the docks in East London, a bit of a working class club, widely considered. What um, you know, as far as Viborg go, what's the? You said it was a forty thousand uh, populous town, so not huge. But what are the fan base like? What are the fans like? And uh, is can West Ham fans expect a decent following on Thursday? Yeah, so I, I I haven't been to this the city itself, uh, so I can't give you uh, can't give you that perspective. But um, I know that uh, I, I know that it's traditionally so, so they they do a, or they um, farm a lot of mink in De- in Denmark, uh, mm. and I think Viborg is, that's like their biggest uh, like the biggest part of their economy. I think at least I've been told. Um, in, in terms in terms of uh, supporters, yeah, they. Um, uh, th- this is this is you know arguably uh, well apart from the cup final perhaps this is w- one of the biggest games in their history so uh, I know that lots of them are going to be coming over for this um, traditionally they get an attendance of about five thousand uh, about fifty fifty percent capacity of their stadium but you know as a percentage of the city uh, that's pretty significant mm, uh, but yeah, I expect yeah. that, that I expect that will be full for the for the return leg. Um, the the game that I went to over the the weekend was was in uh, Nordsjælland and uh, Viborg brought probably, if I'm estimating, maybe 150 fans or something like that. Mm. So um, n- n- not like uh, the the size of travelling support that like an FC Copenhagen or a Bronby would have, uh, but at the same time, I, I I know the fans are really excited about this game and I know that yeah they'll be travelling over in numbers. Yeah, fair play, fair play. So, uh, you you guess it, with the golf in insides, it may be more of a, a sort of like a damage limitation thing. Do you think, or you know, not to, but certainly this Thursday is sort of just stay in the tie approach. Will it be from from Viborg and and hope they can get them back to to their stadium? Yeah, I th- I think because there's no away goals anymore. There's there's um you know you can approach a game like this. Uh, with that mentality uh, without it costing you too much um that they've got a, a a big sort of six foot four striker called j roy grot um a, a dutch guy um he misses a lot of big chances uh yeah. but he's a um uh he, he's a, a really sort of big physical presence and i think that uh for a game like this, that will be really important to have someone who's able to kind of bruise the the defenders back because the the, the quality of opposition is certainly going to be um, levels above anything that people have faced recently. Um, but I expect them to to stick to their formation. They 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 stuck quite rigidly to that um, all the way through last season and this one, uh, and and I expect them to use that long ball. Uh, uh, with a, a bit more um, effectiveness and, and and try and get Sorensen into the game, but yeah, I, I think if they can come through this, um, it sounds bad, but even even just being a goal down, I think could give them uh, could give them something to, to to aim for. And hey, you never know. Uh, the season in Denmark starts a bit earlier, so they've they've had a bit more of a run up to this. Uh, they've had obviously the uh, four European games already, so that they are coming into this um, with a, a bit more. Uh, uh, tarmac under their team bus yeah. i guess 
yeah 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 sure fair enough fair enough well uh what's um obviously we'll, we'll hope to have a chat with you again before the before the return leg um it, it just numbers wise then i appreciate you sort of said it's going to be a a big one are we is, is it sort of a, a 500 sort of a reasonable expectation um for an away showing given that it is the biggest game in or one of the biggest games in their history i well i this is a complete guess from that? from my perspective but i i i would I'd be thinking even maybe a little more than that. Um, oh, right, okay. You, you know, there, there's lots of uh, lots of flights over to um, uh, to London. You know, it's a big stadium. Um, ho- hopefully, the rail strikes don't uh, put too many people off. So yeah, it'd be, mm. it'd be really nice to see a big turnout there. And I'm I'm hoping to get down to the game myself and and maybe chat to some fans beforehand um, uh, and kind of uh, get a real view from them as to what it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. And uh, so, just last couple then, how are they doing in the league at the moment? Um, and who's in charge, the manager? You mentioned the one who's gone. Uh, who's, the, who's the manager at the moment? Yeah, so the the, the new manager is uh, Jakob Fries. So exactly the same surname as the uh, outgoing manager. <laughs> is that but... the Smith of Denmark, is it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's not. I, I don't think they're any relation. Yeah, um, right. uh, so, so, yeah. And th- this season, they've they they've been really good. I think they've um, won three, lost two, and even the game they lost, they were you know, the, the, it was a pretty even contest. I think they were pr- probably unlucky. They missed a few chances uh, through through that striker grot, um, mm. and so yeah, I think they've. Um, I, I I kind of predicted this season they might fall off a little bit with the you know the extra European games, and uh, you know they lost a, a um, lost quite a key player over the summer, one of their centre backs um that got poached by the old manager of course always yeah. the way uh but they've no that they, they've been impressive this season i can't remember precisely where they are it might be might be fifth or something but um yeah lots of uh lots of the kind of big teams this season have uh failed to live up to expectations so far and, and viborg have really kind of um hit the ground running yeah yeah fair play fair play well look henry we really appreciate you coming on the show and uh i thought uh, I normally have trouble getting a Brighton fan on uh, for the opposition view. They're the hardest Premier League one. Um, so we've got that this weekend. And when I realised that's a source of Brighton fan uh, and someone who's going to know something about V-Borg in Denmark, a team that me and uh, I know plenty of other West Ham fans hadn't even heard of until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was a challenge indeed. So it's brilliant to chat to you. Hopefully we can have a chat uh, after Thursday's game ahead of the return leg. Uh, give a little bit of insight on a bit of a reaction from you and and some looking ahead as well. Just quickly then, as we always do, give us a score prediction. Thursday night, Europa League round one of the uh, of the playoff or the first leg of the uh, the playoff round. Um, I am quietly hopeful, but at the same time, uh, I, I know how big a test this is going to be. So I, I'm going to say uh, 2-1 West Ham. Um, with the travelling travelling supporters getting something to cheer about, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 what you want, really, isn't it? Even as a West Ham fan, I wouldn't begrudge them that. Well, look, Henry, <laughs> it's, uh, it's absolutely brilliant there, Henry Nichols from footballindenmark.com. You can find if you want to follow Henry on Twitter, it's uh, at footballindk. Uh, get on over, Henry. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll hopefully get you on ahead of that second leg. Stay with us because Jonesy will have a look ahead to the Brighton game on Sunday next. And now I am joined on the We Are West End podcast by Jeremiah, a Brighton fan. 
ahead of Sunday's game at London Stadium at 2pm against our bogey team in the Premier League. It seems to be still, still can't beat Brighton in the Premier League. Um, thought we might have had it in the bag on the last day of last season, but despite going one new up, um, but yeah, it all went, it all went downhill from there. We missed out on sixth place as a result. Not really a surprise, but I really thought we'd have it in the bag. But Jeremiah, thanks for, thanks for joining us, mate. No, I was happy to be here. Good stuff. So let's talk about Brighton, particularly last season. It was your highest ever finish in the Premier League, ninth. Uh, yeah. Record, record points total in fifty-one, I believe. Um, Graham Potter doing an absolutely fantastic job at the Amex. Yeah. But this this summer, you've lost two massive players in Cucurella and Basuma. Yeah. Um, I mean, with Basuma, I think he he is a great player, obviously, and Spurs have got a good player. I think what was it thirty million up front, which is probably the right right value for him. Um, which is quite good as well, considering it's last year of his contract and we would have mm. lost him for free next summer. Um, but I don't think he was that integral to how we play. Um, he was never, his passing was never sort of all that. It, what, what he was good at was progressing the ball, tackling um, and running. Um, but w- we've sort of replaced that, I think, with McAllister, Caicedo, who are more uh, progress the ball through passing. So I think that, that suits Potter a bit more in how we would like to play. Uh, and we mm-hmm. were linked to Grilich, I think, which is a deal that nearly got over the line from Hoffenheim. Um, but he, yeah, he apparently there was attitude problems that uh, Brighton were worried about, so that didn't happen. But I don't think, I don't think Brighton are that desperate to replace him in midfield. Um, and and as well with Cucurella, he's uh, sort of sixty-three million pounds, I think, including Allen's was the final fee for him. Um, yeah. We, I think we we confirmed that we might be bringing uh, Villa Villa Royale left back. Um, I can't remember how you pronounce his name. Estupian, I think it yep. is, um, from Ecuador yep. to join with Caicedo, both from Ecuador. Um, and I think I think that that'd be fine. Like left wing back is is you know not a difficult role to fill in Potter's system. Trossard was playing there. The new signing Mitima got sort of fifteen minutes um, at the end of the Newcastle game and looked really good. So I don't actually think those two signings. Are, are as big a loss. I mean, we did, we've done all right in the first two games. Um, you certainly made a made big profit on, on both of them as well. Yes, so yeah. Can't be sniffed that. Definitely can't be sniffed that. Um, with all that in mind, though, what's the what's the the expectation amongst Brighton fans? Obviously, record season of the top flight last year. Um, made a lot of money on two departures, linked with you know some good players to come in and replace them, and you know. A, a decent start unbeaten in the opening two games, including a win at Old Trafford on the opening weekend. Does that change the expectations? And what were the expectations going into this season? I think expectations were sort of tenth to seventh optimistic. But Brighton fans, if any, if you've asked most of them before the beginning of the season, anything about fourteenth, fine. I think we just need to secure that that upper echelons of mid table in the Premier League. Keep getting all that TV revenue money each summer and just keep building for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think there's some optimism that maybe we could push and be one of those outside um, dark horses for the seventh spot, maybe six with the way United are going at the moment. But yeah, yeah. Any, anything above 40. I was listening to a podcast when I drive home, one of the Man United athletic ones. It's just, it's quite satisfying. To yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that game on the opening weekend, I thought, cool, that is a massive result for Brighton. And now it turns out that maybe it was just a good Cheapened result. A bit. 
yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of, oh, maybe it was just, it was an okay result against you. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the kind of it's better because the, the optimism of the first game and the sort of at home, the first day of the season, the sort of positivity around Ten Hag and then it just came out and popped the ball and ruined them for Brentford. Yeah, yeah. No, it couldn't happen to, to a nicer football club as well, given, uh, given the, the dominance they've had in years. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad Bright managed to do that. Um, in terms of, in terms of, I mean, we spoke about Cucurella and Basuma. Is there a worry that you know every summer you're going into a new, you're going into a new season with the risk of losing your best players? Um, I know you said that you know, losing those two players hasn't really, isn't really going to hurt you as much as maybe it's perceived from the outside. But obviously, lost Ben White last summer, lost Dan Byrne in, in January. A lot of people may have looked at that and gone, God, that's going to rock the boat a little bit at, at Brighton. But you've, it hasn't really hurt you. But the longer that goes on, the, there is the potential there to kind of you know backfire a little bit. I don't know. I don't know how, how Brighton yeah, fans feel. Because it's, it's what happened with Southampton. It's like they did for so long, they got every recruitment option spot on. And mm. then there was a season or two, I think it was after they sacked, was it? Well, they sacked and then they got some Spanish bloke afterwards and then yep. the recruitment started getting a bit off and then you see what happens and now they were kind of in a in a similar Brighton position where they were in and around that top half or at least we were last season uh, and then the, the recruitment started going wrong and they just slid and slid and slid and now they're a re- relegation for the team mm. which is what we've been for the last few years as well um, despite yeah. last season's finish so that is a worry but I think more it's about Potter, I think he's the key to it. It's about uh, and the structure that we have in place with our director of football, our chief executive, and our recruitment team, and it's just all that that structure and the current manager that we have and and the recruitment team uh, does keep it all together, so we can absorb these losses. And the way Potter plays, he does so much, uh, so much rotation uh, week to week. He rarely plays the same starting eleven every week, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a pound shop city in that way, where he'll drop players even if they perform quite well and then bring in three new players and do a completely different formation system yeah um so i think for potter is the big one i think we can pretty much absorb a lot of the losses that we trust our recruitment to pick up the slack and also we've got uh we've got quite a few we've been doing sort of buying these teenagers sending them out online for season two season um and we've got a couple of them back this summer Mm. Who might be looking? Uh, that's what happened with Casado. We bought him last January for sort of four point five million. Went out on loan in Belgium. Has come back and has looked really good. And there's a couple more out there that's gone online. But yeah, Potter, Potter, I think is the big one. Um, if we lose him, then that's going to be the sort of hardest to deal with compared to any of the players that we've got. That was my next question: Is that you know, if is there the worry? I mean, there must be the worry that you know. He was already linked with the Tottenham job, I believe, um, mm. before Conte went went, went there. Uh, he's going to be linked. The more the more impressive he is at Brighton, there's going to be more and more links away to some of the so called bigger clubs in the Premier League. Um, and I think he's even been talk, spoken about for the England job, um, which England, I don't England think he'd be suited for. But I, I don't I don't get the England links at all. I think no. the England job is something that managers go to if they they're kind of the end of their careers or if they're can't quite get steady footing in their club career. Mm. I don't think a, a manager on the up would want to take an international job. He sort of no. looks about the competition for four to eight years 
um, and then they, you know, things change in football, they might be less less suited to come into a job. And as well, Gareth Southgate, Gareth Southgate, as well as he's done, if he were to leave the England job after the World Cup, how many Premier League teams would be sort of offering him a job? Mm. I, think it, I think it's not great great to step out of an international or expecting to get a good. It would he would have to go to another smaller club like Brighton rebuild his reputation in the club game before he could then be considered unless he wins the World Cup and the Euros or something. But Which is unlikely. With it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a case of what what, the, what can Brighton do to to keep him away from prying eyes because there will be clubs, particularly during, if you know, I can't imagine United might be sniffing around in particular if Ten Hag doesn't last what, before Christmas. I think United might be might be wishful thinking from their point of view, I think Potter, yeah. Potter works so well in Brighton because we have again this structure. It used to be Dan Ashworth and then David Weir, as sort of in-house promotion succeeded him. He's got the recruitment team that we've had for a while. Like a lot of these players, like McAllister, Basuma, Ben White came from our academy. They they preceded both Dan Ashworth and Potter because our owner is mm-hmm. um, our owner is is very uh, very competent at running a football club. Yeah, um, but. Uh, in terms of convincing him to stay, probably have to get Europa Europa in the next two years. Otherwise, he'll maybe when one of those when Conte's project implodes, he might fancy that. Yeah, which is inevitable, isn't it? At yeah. some point with Conte, but um, yeah, I mean, it, for me, looking looking at it, it looks like you know another top ten finish, and you know perhaps even even an attempt at finishing in the Europa, Europa places or European places. Is almost it feels like the next step for Brighton. Yeah, I think this this season is probably the season we need to do that. Um, yeah. But the thing I'm I'm worried about is that we we still I think a couple of signings short from doing. I think we've got a great starting eleven, but we've had a great starting eleven for the last few years. What really kills us is the signings, uh, the injury, sorry, um, and lack of signings to cover. So Adam Webster's a big one each time he goes out and so so good at passing and, and progressing the ball, sort of takes it, runs up the pitch. Mm-hmm. All the opposition, defence and midfield, all that position, and then he plays a great pass and, you know, we're on the attack. He's so key for us, but he's so injury prone. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of maybe have supplemented that with Colwell on loan uh, from Chelsea, but I don't know how good he is. He was, he was good in the Championship and then was good in the Championship, came to the job, but we'd have to see. Um, I think midfield as well, we do need cover. We've got good starting midfield three, um, but Lallana is not reliable to play full season. And Wepu, our see, uh, signing for Salzburg, has looked good when he's been on. But again, injury, injury prone for most of most of the season last season. We have never really got to see him up and swinging. So I, I worry that we haven't got enough cover in midfield. Mm. And also we've just sold Mope, or it's not official yet, to Nottingham Forest for around 15 million. So... Danny Welbeck, again, another one who's quite injury-prone. We don't have a player like him who can replace him. We've got the German Undab, uh, who's coming from USG, player of the season in Belgium, sort of 30-plus goals and assists last season. But again, yeah. untested, and he's not really one of those signings who can run in behind onto long balls like what was so effective against Manchester United. He'll drop mm. deep and play the ball in and, um, and sort of create as well as score. So we don't have that, that yeah. athletic sort of pace that Welbeck offers. Well, Clav going. Just one less player to score against us. Although, if he's going to... Forrest, keep, Forrest are buying everyone at the moment and it's they've unsettling bought, me a little bit. 
they brought about three strikers, haven't they? Because there's yeah. Dennis Moke, that that bloke from um from Union Berlin who used to live. Scored against us at the weekend. Luckiest goal in the world. But yeah. I saw that it just bounced off his knee. Come off his knee. Yeah. Yeah. Very lucky goal. Let's look ahead to this weekend then, Jeremiah. Um as I said right at the beginning, like it baffles me. It baffles every West Ham fan that we still, and this is no disrespect to Brighton, obviously, but it just years, feels. I think it is, yeah. It just feels like Brighton have become this, just this bogey team of ours that we just can't shake that monkey off our back. And yeah. um, it's before the win on the final game of the season. It was six draws in a row. Now Brighton are draw specialists in the Premier League. I was doing yeah. some research on this. Uh, One hundred ninety-two games played since your promotion in twenty seventeen. 66 draws, it's 34%, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you consider you've only had 49 wins at 25%, um, <laughs> that is a lot of draws. Um, yeah. So six draws in a row against us probably isn't that much of a surprise, but we still haven't managed to beat you. You average two goals a game, a game in the Premier League against us. Um, yeah. How are you feeling about this Sunday? Do you think that run's going to continue against us? I'm particularly nervous because it's one of those ones, you know, when you look at the history and you look at how the teams are at the moment, obviously West Ham losing the first two on the bounce, Brighton being United and then really controlling the whole game against Newcastle had all of the opportunities, should have put a couple away. They had a couple of goal line clearances from defenders, Nick Pope, a couple of worldly saves. Uh, It seems like Brighton are on the ascendancy. They'll be well up for it and they should get a 2 3 no win with the way we're playing and the way West Ham are playing. But, you know, it's football. I could very, very easily see it flip the other way um, and just upset the run and the, the obvious sort of, the obvious choice for the result. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not feeling too confident, particularly after what I've seen off the first two games. It, I think it all depends on whether we have any defenders left. Mm. We've sold a few, the rest are injured. Uh, poor old Ben Johnson's been playing centre-back alongside Zuma. Um, but luckily, there's not going to be Mopay to cause them any problems. Um, hopefully, which which does give me a little bit of hope, actually. I don't know. Keep keep your eye on Matoma. He's uh, one of our signings we bought last summer from a Japanese side for 2.5 million. Um, right. Averages a goal involvement a game in Japan then came over to Union um, Saint-Joua, I think it's pronounced. It's Tony Bloom's sort of second club that he owns, owns as well as Brighton. Went on loan there, had some injury problems, but still numbered a sort of goal and assist per game. Uh, and he came on last 15 minutes against Newcastle and he looks like a proper player sort of a beautiful touch like very slender and small but seems to be able to have an unnatural amount of strength for that sort of physique great that's not what I wanted to hear but but yeah yeah so aside from him who should we be looking at in the Brighton team in terms of who should we be fearing who should David Moyes be going right we need to we need to stop him so yeah, Mittam is the one, I think, because he'll take people by surprise. He's not he's only had fifteen minutes in the Premier League. But teams won't have a plan to deal with him. Yeah, he's got explosive pace and a great touch. So he's he could be a surprise. Um in terms of ones to watch, Pascal Gross, maybe. He's he's been quite hot in the last few games from last season and then again in the first few games from this season. Same with Solly March. They've both sort of really picked up some form and up their games. But with Brighton, it's such a it's a, such a difficult question because we don't really have that many players who are outstanding attacking wise. More of a squad, uh, more of a unit. Yeah, yeah, so we so we push our attacks through um, just strength in midfield, and we overpower our teams in the middle of the park with a high press and good midfield, and then possible forwards. And it's about who 
whoever happens to be in an opportunity mm. um opportune space and then you know shoot and most of the time we miss because it's brighton and <laughs> that's XT, why you draw so XT much gods yeah <laughs> <laughs> so but from a west end point of view um is there anyone that you're particularly worried about uh, i know m- many would initially say jared bowen but he's had a really poor first two games of the season um, mm. And you know which players are you looking at? Going, he could really hurt our weaknesses. And what are you? I'm always, as well? I'm always, um, I've I've always been terrified of Ben Rama every time uh, I watch West Ham. Um, he was a player that I watched because I I keep an eye on Brentford. I live just around the corner now uh, mm. from their stadium, so I watched him a bit in the Championship because they're a really really fun team to watch. Um, and he he always caught my eye. And again, when he went to West Ham and playing in the Prem, he's had some real moments. So he he's one of those players that I think could just pull something out of the bag, score score a worldie from outside the box, and suddenly the whole mood mood of the game shifts and mm. can empower the West Ham team, and they keep just piling people forward. Uh, and then the obvious one, Declan Rice. If it will it, be one and lost, I know it's a stereotypical saying, but it'll be one or lost in the midfield. It's about Caicedo v Rice, I think tomorrow whoever wins um, that battle yeah 100 i think um well rice has had a by his own standards a, a pretty quiet and poor first two games i think it's di- difficult mm. to use the city game at the beginning of the season as to gauge anything because it's mad city and uh, yeah gonna win the league again um but against forest you know, i know he missed the penalty don't know why he did take the penalty in the first place but just wasn't his normal world-class self that, we're, that we've kind of become so used to. Um, similar to Baron as well. But Ben Rahman was the best player on the pitch against Nottingham Forest. He seems like he's mm. he's started this season with a little bit of form, a little bit of positive, um, confidence is the word. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he can, he can build on that. But Jeremiah, Jeremiah it's been, been a pleasure speaking to you. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask you for that prediction, score prediction for Sunday, 2pm at London Stadium. I'm going to say 2-2. That's my favourite be... prediction. I always go for Desmond. <laughs> yeah, 2-2. Two, 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 I think both teams will score um, and I think it'll be tight. I can't see I can't see a sort of thumping win either way. Well, but I'm int- off, often wrong. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I do hope you're wrong because another draw against Brighton, I'm too sure they're about to take that, to be fair. But in the interest of staying positive and I'm going at the weekend, I don't know, are you going? Are you going to be there? No, I'm not. I've got a season ticket for the home stadium, but um, I, I usually have work on weekends and other, work so much in the week, do other things every week, other weekend. Fair. So it's my it'll be my first Premier League game this season. I was meant to get the City, but I couldn't get to that one. So um, in the interest of staying positive and seeing us win, uh, I'm going to go 2-1. The, okay. the monkey will finally be off our backs. We're finally in that drought against Brighton. Um, but it will be very, very tight. I think it's going to be a really... Mm rubbish game of football like i don't think it's going to be one that will remember either way i could see that scrap scrappy goal bouncing off someone's back to roll in in the 90th yeah. minute yeah yeah hopefully it goes our way though hopefully well jeremiah as i said uh been a pleasure having you on this week and um i hope we get to speak to you a little bit later in the season um yes. good, luck, good luck for the rest of the season apart from sunday and you too cheers mate and have coming have coming up is uh, final thoughts with me and Will ahead of uh, the Brighton game and our Europa Conference League qualifier against Viborg on Thursday night.
Well, well, well then, that's it, Jonesy. Uh, defeat against Nottingham Forest. But reason for positivity ahead of the two games we've got before our next podcast, Thursday night at home to Viborg in the Europa Conference League uh, before that clash home to Brighton on Sunday. Um, what are your what are your thoughts? And give us give us some final thoughts before we say goodbye for another week, mate. The defeat, but stuff to look forward to. It's just hard, isn't it, with the with the Brighton one in particular. But give us some some sort of predictions first of all. Looking forward, Viborg first, and then uh, and then Brighton after that. Difficult one to call Viborg. I mean, you'd you'd expect us to have more than enough to be able to beat them. Um, and almost have the, the, the playoff done in the first leg, but you know, this is where Stan are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can expect quite a lot of changes. Might actually finally see some of the new signings from the start, which would be nice. Um, Skamaka will start. Flynn Downs has got a play, isn't he? Yeah, big, big Flynnie. He'll get involved. Uh, Decker Rice is suspended, so we won't see Deck, but, um, but yeah, it should be. Like, should be comfortable. Like you'd expect it to be, but yeah, I'm not going to go as far to say that it's definitely going to be. Mm. But um, but yeah, and then obviously Brighton at the weekend. Well, I mean, we all know what the situation is with that football club and they'll <clears throat> yeah, just annoying they are. So <laughs> like, what's it? This is the seventh season, seventh mm. attempt at trying to beat them. Um, God, they, seventh, yeah, seventh season. Yeah, yeah. Lo- no, it might even be longer than that. Oh, let me check. Go on. They love a draw. Um, yeah. Normally, you go into a game against Brighton, given the record we've got against them, and go, "Yeah, yeah, do you know what? If we can take a point with this, I, I won't be too too frustrated with it." But the fact is, after losing to Forest, you know, we really could do with winning um, more so than ever. So, yeah, yeah regardless of what happens on Thursday night against Firebox, so yeah, it should be an interesting few days. Um, I don't know, don't really know how to call it. You don't sound too uh, enthused. So, right, go on and score a prediction for Viborg first. Uh, I'm going to say 3 0 West Ham. 3 0. That's so, uh, that's such a dodgy one. Such a dodgy. Don't go into it. Cop- I reckon, yeah. I'm going to go 2 1. 2 1. West Ham. Viborg yeah. going to score. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Only because, okay. uh, yeah, only because sort of within my nature to err on the side of pessimism. Right. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Attempts we've had Jonesy six season uh, at beating Brighton, yeah, that's it. Um, October, so they came up in the 15 16 season. Uh, so the, the first time we played them again in the Premier League was 17 18, uh, and we haven't beaten them since then. Uh, we had a run of uh, six straight draws before the uh, defeat 3 1 defeat at Brighton. Um, at the end of last season, yeah, the last time we beat them was 6-0 at home in the Championship. A game I remember, that was 14th of April 2012. Best day hat-trick. Uh, I think. I yeah, right. I think yeah, could have been, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so I don't know, mate. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm just bored of it because every single time I go into it going, yeah, yeah, this is the time. This is the time. Not that we're playing particularly well at the moment, but I just feel like if I just keep saying it ahead of every game, I'll be right one day maybe. Um, or a bit like with our record at Anfield, which we didn't we didn't win there since like go, go, on, go on for like 50, 50 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, it was a Ricardo Vazte hat-trick. Um, Kevin Nolan, Carlton Coleman, Gary Dicker own goal in that 6 Uh Right, Jonesy, what are you saying for Brighton then? Give us a prediction. I'm going to stay positive. You've got to, haven't you, really? 
Uh, I'm going to say 2-1 West Ham. 2-1 to West Ham. Yeah, and so, like Danny Welbeck will score really early for them, because he always does. And then yeah. we'll, we'll score two in the second half. Mm, comeback big, win, is it? Big Gianluca yeah, uh, yeah. To, to nick a goal. Yeah, yeah. No, I love, I'm going to say we will do it, but I think it'll be ugly. Uh, oh, it's always going to be ugly. It'll, it'll be, be a horrible game. I think it'll be 1-0. I reckon we'll start like, really early, like Pablo Fornell's goal inside six minutes. And then the rest of the game will just be attritional and horrible, but we'll just about hang on and that monkey will finally be off of our back. Yep. Um, yeah, there we go, mate. There we go. Well, look, reason to be positive, kicking off another European campaign on Thursday night as well. Disappointing start to the Premier League season, but don't worry, there's, there's room. Are you going Thursday, mate? Well, hopefully. It was just a train strike, isn't there? So hmm. I don't really know what's going to happen, but I do have a ticket. Oh, um, there we go. There I go. intend to go in. If, uh, I think it's the city game, so I'm desperate to get back over there. So, oh, fair enough. Yeah. Well, I'm down in Devon for a wedding, so you'll have to uh, you'll have to go and, and support on my behalf. Mate. Oh, I will. I will. Yeah. Well, look. Uh, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. I'm at William Pugh underscore Jonesy is at by James Jones over. If you fancy follow us on social media, Instagram with we are West Ham Pod. Facebook just search we are West Ham Podcast. Do the same on YouTube. You get the video clips and stuff that Jonesy does over there. You can email us at we are West Ham Pod at gmail.com. The links to all the ways you can follow us and contact us are included in the description to the podcast. And don't forget you can buy us a beer and support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com slash we are West Ham if you so wish pints start uh, at a fiver or pints are a fiver each uh, the money goes straight to me and Jonesy and will only ever be spent on things that make the podcast better be that podcast equipment or guest fees uh, and of course the other alternatives that get spent over a bar when me and Jonesy are together uh, having a couple of pints thanks very much for listening this week a disappointing start to the Premier League campaign. Two defeats in two. Erling Haaland did us first week and then everything possible. The football gods, the referee, and just generally loads and loads of bad luck as well as Declan Rice's terrible penalty-taking technique meant that we are still yet to get a Premier League point on the board. But never mind. Positive mental attitude at West Ham United. Our second consecutive European campaign kicks off on Thursday before we finally, finally beat Brighton and Hove Albion in the Premier League for the first time since, well, since 2017, which is when we've been trying since. Surely, surely Sunday is the time when we finally get the better of the Seagulls. But never mind, it doesn't matter whether we do or we don't because West Ham United are still massive. Thanks ever so much for listening, everyone, at the Hammers, and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. This week's episode is sponsored by footballprizes.co.uk where you can win some priceless pieces of signed football memorabilia as well as match tickets each and every week. In this week's draw, you can win two hospitality tickets to West Ham's London derby with bitter rivals Tottenham 
at London Stadium on August the 31st. Entries are just £9.95 each and just 65 will be sold, which gives you a fantastic chance of winning. The competition closes Thursday night at 7.30pm and the winner will be drawn an hour later live on the Football Prizes Facebook page. There's been some fantastic signed pieces from Tony Cotty, Saeed Benrahma, Jared Bowen and Vladimir Sufau. In fact, basically the whole of the current West Ham squad up for grabs since Football Prizes launched. So head on over to footballprizes.co.uk to check them out. Sports Social Podcast Network.